As mentioned, there was the seniors' luncheon put on by the deacons of our church. And as you look over the gathering in the foyer there, you realize that there are a lot of people who would have a lot of stories of the Lord's faithfulness, of His care and provision for them over the years. How edifying it would be if they would speak of these things to us, if we could just sit and listen to our elderly testify of the time after time of the Lord's goodness and mercy. Well, David does kind of a trip down memory lane here in Psalm 124. It's kind of in the background, but as you read through the Psalms, you can realize that David is thinking about his own experiences in the past. And he's taken a trip down memory lane, not so much for nostalgic purposes, but in order to be a blessing to the people of God, to encourage them in the faithfulness of God, to tell them that they can put their confidence in the Lord and it will not be put to, they will not be put to shame. In fact, what David is really doing here is encouraging the people to put their trust in the Lord the one who is their help, the maker of heaven and earth. And he starts out this song by speaking of a hypothetical situation. You can see that in verses 1 and 2. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, he says. And so he wants them to imagine what life would be like without God being on their side. I mean, we, we engage in these kinds of conversations all the time, I'm sure. You, you might say to your wife one day, imagine if we hadn't met, or imagine if we didn't have this last child, or imagine if we didn't have this particular situation arise in our lives. These are all hypothetical situations, and it's a good thing for us to think about this with the Lord. What would our life be like? If God were not on our side, David actually encourages us to, to go through that pro thought process. So often we're thankful for the Lord being on our side, but imagine what it would be. It would take on a whole new dimension, perhaps. Imagine what it would be if God were not on our side. I think actually sometimes we do that very thing. We're talking about unbelievers who are going through difficult trials, or, or you're going through difficult trials yourself, and you say to yourself, or you say to someone else, I don't know how I would do this if I didn't have the Lord. That's kind of what David's doing. Imagine what it would be if God were not on our side. And he envisages a situation of opposition. He talks about people rising up against him, He's talking about people whose anger was kindled against the people of God. Here's an, here's an attack, here's a, an affront, an assault against the people of God. And David says, imagine what would happen in that situation. Well, he doesn't actually have to imagine what would happen. He knows precisely what would happen. He says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. He takes two pictures from the natural world. The ground would have 
opened up beneath us, and we would have been gone. Remember that this is the very thing that happened to Korah and Dathan and their cohorts in the Old Testament. The ground opened up, and they were gone like a Florida sinkhole, like Smarties in a little child's mouth, in the mouth and down the hatch. That's what would have happened, he says. We would have been swallowed up here and then gone. Or it would be like the flood would sweep us away. This was a common experience in the Israeli, in the Israelite world. In their deserts, you'd have these dry riverbeds, these wadis. And then there would be rain somewhere up in the hills. And then all of a sudden, this dry riverbed would become this raging torrent of water. The water would surge and sweep everything away in its path. We were given insights into that a few years ago when we saw the floods in lower mainland. What power water has to destroy animals and to carry away houses and even heavy machinery, never to see them again. This is what David understands. If God were not on our side, this is the very thing that would happen to us. We would have been destroyed. He knows their own weakness as the people of God, and the fierce power of the enemy. And it's good for us to think that way too, to know that we're no match, that if God were to leave us to ourselves, or worse yet, if God were to be against us, we would be destroyed. The, the world's pull is too strong for us. The lies of the devil are too disguised for us. And then the sinfulness that resides within our own hearts, allied to the opposition around us, it, it would just devastate us. We would be destroyed. We would be carried away, swept away to eternal destruction. The earth would open up to us. Hell would yawn for us. And, and we would be gone if God the Lord had not been on our side. It wouldn't smell, it wouldn't spell very happy results for us. But then in verse 6, he switches. He says this hypothetical situation is not actually true. God is on our side. And he begins these reflections with blessing the Lord. In verse 6, blessed be the Lord. And to bless the Lord is to reflect on his qualities and then worship him for that. And the quality that he particularly wants to pinpoint is the sovereignty of God. You can see this in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Here's an explicit reminder that all of life's circumstances, whatever situation we find ourselves in, is ruled by God. So he gives us into one situation, or he doesn't give us into another. It's not just by chance, or by luck, or by fate, or, or any of those impersonal things. It's, it's God himself in his sovereign power and majesty following his eternal counsel that directs and dictates all the experiences of our life. And here he says, God needs to be blessed because he has not given us into this particular situation where our enemy would be victorious. 
And again, he uses two pictures to describe it. He says, God has not given us over as prey to their teeth. You have to envisage a wild animal who is able to tear our flesh and crush our bones. God has not given us as prey. Or he talks in verse 7 about the hunter who pursues us as if we're little birds. Some of you children here, I know you hunt coyotes and other animals. You set your trap and you hope that the animal finds the trap. Well, we have been entrapped, is what David is saying. But we have escaped from the trap. We have escaped from the snare of the fowlers, those who who hunt birds. And the reason we have escaped is not because we are so clever ourselves or strong. We're helpless like little birds. But the snare has been broken. God has defeated our enemy. He has destroyed all the schemes of the evil one to entrap us. And we have escaped. This is the reality for the people of God. That God is on our side. And so we shall not be destroyed. Come what may, whatever the opposition may be, whatever scheme Satan concocts against us, we shall not be destroyed. We will be safe and secure. There's a wonderful picture of this given to us in Revelation 12. You might know the story. It's the story of the woman and the dragon. The woman most likely is the church. The dragon, the great red dragon, is Satan, the devil, that ancient serpent that Adam and Eve met in the Garden of Eden. He has now grown and developed and matured and has become even more frightening. He's a dragon, not just a snake. And uh, this, this dragon is, is there to attack and to destroy the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but God has caught up the Son of God to heaven. And so Satan, unsuccessful in pursuing Jesus, instead pursues Jesus' children. And this is how it's described. The, the people of God, they had flown into the wilderness that they might be protected there, but, but uh, the serpent or the dragon follows them into the wilderness. And then it looks like God's people are cornered. And Satan is relishing his victory. So he pours water like a river out of his mouth after the woman in order to sweep her away with a flood. Just think of Psalm 124, to sweep her away with a flood. But then notice what happens. Remember in Psalm 124, the, the psalmist David says that if God had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed up alive. Well, here, because God the Lord is on our side, the earth opened its mouth, not to swallow the people of God, but the earth opened its mouth to swallow the torrent that came from the mouth of the dragon that was going to destroy him. And so they're seeing this water surge toward them, and they think the end has come, and then the ground opens up, and the water just flows down, cascades into the earth, and they are safe. 
if God the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been destroyed. But blessed be the Lord, we have escaped our enemies. So Revelation 12 talks about that victory. But I mentioned that the dragon is not only going after the people of God, but he's also going after the Son of God, the head of the church, after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this psalm is not only about the victory for Israel, the people of God. Israel, you know, is the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. We are, as New Testament believers, the children of God. We are the Israel of God. We are the children of Abram. We are his offspring. And so this psalm is not only for Old Testament believers, it's for New Testament Christians as well. But here's the interesting thing. It's also a psalm that Jesus sings. I wonder if you ever thought about that. That when Jesus was on earth and worshiped with his parents in the synagogue and with other believers, what do you think he sang? It wasn't the Trinity Psalter hymnal that was used. It was the book of Psalms. And so Jesus would have sung Psalm 124. And Jesus would have sung in his humanity, of course, if it had not been the Lord who was on my side. If it had not been the Lord who was on my side, I would have been destroyed. Because I faced an enemy that would have obliterated me. But blessed be the Lord, our Lord Jesus sings. Blessed be the Lord. We've escaped. I've been delivered. I've been set free. I did not succumb to my enemy. Of course, it's the cross that was the great conflict that our Lord Jesus experienced. And the interesting thing about the description of the cross in both the Old and New Testament is that the cross is a water ordeal. It is on the cross that the enemy of Christ and of us, Satan, sought to sweep the Lord Jesus away, to have this flood go over him, to have this torrent and the raging waters to take him away. How do I know that? You might know that Psalm 69 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament in reference to our Lord Jesus. For instance, in Psalm 69, verse 9, it says, For zeal for your house has consumed me. And that's a reference, uh, or that is reference in John 2, uh, about Jesus' zeal for the temple of God when he cleanses the temple. Or this, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. That's quoted in Revelation 15, speaking about the Lord Jesus. So Psalm 69 is what we call a messianic psalm. It's a prophecy of the coming Lord Jesus, the King of his people. And you know how it starts. This is how it starts. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. The cross is a water ordeal for our Lord Jesus. As he himself says in Luke 12, verse 50, 
I have a baptism to be baptized with. I must go through this baptism of water. And how distressed I am until it's fulfilled. He's speaking about the cross. The cross is the place where Christ is going to be thrown into the maelstrom of the wrath of God. He's going to have the waves of God's breakers crash over him because there on the cross, he is there as the substitute for sinners. And if God does not save him from his enemy, then he will be swallowed up alive. Then he would be swept away. The torrent would go over him. The raging waters would go over him, and he would be done. But, he says, blessed be the Lord. God had delivered him from his ordeal. It didn't always look like the Lord was on the side of the Lord Jesus. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me to myself? But you remember that just before our Lord expired, gave up his life, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Christ was saved by his God. He was delivered from his enemies. He was escape, an escapee from the torrent of his foes. And it's in union with Christ, then, that we can sing the song of victory. Psalm 124 is is Christ's song of victory. And in union with Christ, it's our song of victory, too. Because we are in Christ Jesus more than conquerors. As Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is the cross of Christ and Christ's victory that becomes our victory and which we then are enabled to celebrate as well. Now, what does this mean for us as believers in the Lord Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean that we will not have trials and troubles and difficulties and struggles. We will. And some of you are all too aware of that. Some of you all too painfully aware of that. You know what it's like to suffer, to have grief and distress and anguish. You know what it's like at times to feel absolutely overwhelmed, at times even to think that God is not on your side, to think that He has turned against you because the providences are so painful and so hard and so sharp against you. It doesn't mean that you will be exempt from your trials and tribulations. People will still rise up against you. They will still have their anger kindled against us, to to use the language of Psalm 124. The prey, the, the, the roaring lion will still stalk us. The hunter will still set traps for us. That doesn't, being one of the Lord's children and sharing in the victory of Christ doesn't mean that we won't go through hardship and suffering. We will. But it does mean that they will never ultimately destroy us. That we are safe and secure. This is very similar to the theme of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. 
From where does my help come? Well, it's from the Lord, the one who guards us, who keeps us from all evil. Well, all evil? Well, yes, all evil, but, but that doesn't mean that there won't be troubles in your life. Remember our Lord Jesus said uh, that people would revile his people, but, and some of them would, be, would kill them, but not a hair of their head will perish. That, that yes, life will be difficult. The enemy will attack but we're safe, we're secure, we're okay because God is on our side. Nothing can ultimately destroy us. You know that Psalm 124 is a, a song of ascent. It's a, a song that they would sing on pilgrimage from, from wherever they were up to Jerusalem for the annual feast. But it's really a song about the pilgrimage of the Christian life from, from this city, from earth to heaven. And the travel that we go on, we, we do face opposition and obstacles, but God is on our side. And so we will escape. We will be safely brought to our heavenly home. So it doesn't mean that we won't have troubles. It means that our troubles will never destroy us. But it also means because our safety is so caught up in the deliverance of our Lord Jesus Christ. It also means that if we are going to have equilibrium in the Christian life, if we're not going to be tossed to and fro and up and down because of the providences that God gives us into, if we're going to be stable Christians, then we must be cross-eyed. We must focus on the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. Because that is the demonstration that everything will turn out well for the people of God. At least that's the way Paul understands it in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? If He did not spare His only Son but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also, together with him, graciously give us all things so that no one can really be against us? Not that we won't suffer persecution and famine and hunger and nakedness and sword. No, because we belong to Christ, these, these are our experiences. We, we share in the victory of Christ, but we also share in the sufferings of Christ. But because of what God has done on the cross in giving us His Son and then in delivering His Son from the enemy, we can be sure that we will be delivered too. And so we must always think, God loves us. How do I know? Not from the trials of life, from the disappointments and concerns in the first place. But he loves us. How do I know? Because he has given the Lord Jesus. And he has not let the Lord Jesus be destroyed. And so in Christ, I am confident that everything is going to work together for my good. Because in Christ, I know that God is on my side and nothing will ultimately harm me. 
Scholars have noted that there seems to be an incomplete thought in verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. Well, what's Israel to say? And one in particular scholar says, what Israel is to say is how the psalm ends. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Isn't that the most comforting thing? When you feel how weak and pathetic you are and how uh, imperiled is your life and how if God were to leave you to yourself, it would not be good. To know that about yourself and then to know that this God who made the heavens and the earth, who is absolutely self-existent, who needs nothing, has condescended in Jesus Christ to be with us and on our side. And so we can go to bed tonight knowing that our help is in his name. One uh, commentator said this, and I think it's just a sweet thought to, to end with. It's not that God promises to be at our side, though he does promise to do that too, but that God promises to be on our side. And with that, you can go to bed and say, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. It is a wonderful thing to know that the great God, the one who reigns supreme, the majestic one, the high and holy God, is on our side. Who are we that you should be mindful of us? Puny men and women and boys and girls. Worse than that, sinners, to think that you love us and are on our side to defend us from our enemy. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the cross as the demonstration of your love for us and your commitment to do us good. And we pray that we would sing this psalm with robustness, with joy and gladness, even if it appears at this time that everything is against us, to know that it cannot be everything against us because you are for us. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are going through particular troubles, anxieties, concerns, fears, Perhaps even some of our young people and children as well feel overwhelmed. Lord, our Father, we pray that you would draw near to them and show them the Lord Jesus and uh, give them the grace to trust that everything will be okay because of your great power and your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.